All right. We're continuing our series in the summer of uh, summer in the Psalms for the next two Sundays, and uh, in light of everything this Sunday, I, um, I preached a sermon earlier this summer over Psalm 32 called "The Happiness of Living Honestly Before God and Others," and it, uh, it really makes me wish I would have preached that today. <laughs> But uh, by God's providence, we are going to end these last two Sundays on two psalms of praise and um, reasons that we should praise God and how it's good. So if you turn to Psalm 147, it's on page 667, your Bible, if you're using the one given to you in, the, in your chairs, Psalm 147. You'd read together with me. Praise the Lord. It is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant and a song of praise is fitting. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He determines the number of stars. He gives to all of them their names. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. The Lord lifts up the humble. He casts the wicked to the ground. Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Make melody to our God, the lyre. He covers the heavens with clouds. He prepares the rain for the earth. He makes grass grow on the hills. He gives to the beasts their food and to the young ravens that cry His delight is not in the strength of the horse, nor his pleasure in the legs of a man. But the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his steadfast love. Praise the Lord, O Jerusalem. Praise your God, O Zion. For he strengthens the bars of your gates. He blesses your children within you. He makes peace in your borders. He fills you with the finest of the wheat. He sends out his command to the earth. His word runs swiftly. He gives snow like wool. He scatters frost like ashes. He hurls down the crystals of ice like crumbs. Who can stand before his cold? He sends out his word and melts them. He makes his wind blow and the waters flow. He declares his word to Jacob, his statutes and rules to Israel. He has not dealt thus with any other nation. They do not know his rules. Praise the Lord. Would you pray once more with me? Our gracious Heavenly Father, there is no other pleasure in heaven and earth that will satisfy our hearts more than when we are full of praise for you. And yet we are humbled by the reality that only you, by the work of your Holy Spirit, through your word, could pres- can provide that and and cause that to erupt in our hearts today. And so we ask you, Lord, would you be with us? Speak powerfully through your word so that we may leave here with lips that praise your glorious name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This psalm is all about praise. Uh, we're commanded to praise four different times in this psalm. In the beginning, in the middle, in the end, it ends with praise the Lord. Praise is a pretty churchy word though, right? Uh, we say it kind of easily without really thinking about it. Um, 
What does it really mean to praise the Lord? The Hebrew word for praise means to rejoice or shout over something. Praise is the natural response to something that you enjoy as great or awesome or wonderful or beautiful. Praise is the natural response to something you enjoy as great or awesome or, or wonderful or beautiful. Can you think of one of the most, um, one of the greatest gifts that you've ever received? I, um, I think one of the presents, best presents I ever received was a Christmas gift I got the first Christmas we were married. Miriam and I were married. I came home from work that day in December to find the cutest little golden retriever with a little red bow on it. That's exactly what I did. Um, I couldn't believe it. What made this gift even more amazing was the fact that Miriam is not a, a dog person. So I knew it was a sacrifice for her uh, to do. But I couldn't control my excitement. I, um, I remember we were having all the youth from the church over to our house that night. And um, you know, it, we, were, we were having the ugly sweater Christmas party. You know those? But this dog definitely dominated the evening. I was on the ground with it the whole time, playing around. The youth were playing with it. Uh, you know, I, I continued to talk about this dog the, that night and the, the, for weeks on end. Praise is the natural overflow of something you enjoy is great or awesome or wonderful or beautiful. My natural response to getting this little golden retriever was, was praise. C.S. Lewis came to this profound and, and yet obvious observation, and he wrote about it saying this. He said, the most obvious fact about praise, whether of God or anything else, had strangely escaped him, he says. I thought of it in terms of compliment, approval, or giving of honor. I'd never noticed that all enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise. The, word, the world rings with praise. Lovers praising their mistresses. Readers their favorite poet. Walker was praising the countryside. Players praising their favorite game. I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not only expresses, but it completes the enjoyment. It is, it being praise, is its appointed consummation. This is pretty profound and yet obvious at the same time. All people, he is saying, all people praise what they enjoy most. Whatever you enjoy most naturally overflows to praise. And then that praise actually completes the enjoyment of something. Lewis goes on to give some examples of this. He says, how frustrating it is to discover a new author and not be able to tell anybody about it, about how good he is. Or come suddenly the turn of a road upon some mountain valley of unexpected grandeur and then have to keep silent about it because the people with you care no more about it than a tin can in a ditch. Or to hear a good joke and find no one to share it with. The Bible gives an example of this in in Proverbs 31. Regarding this Proverbs 31 spiritual superwoman. (laughs) That children rise and call her blessed and her husband praises her, it says. It doesn't mean that her, her husband's walking around, bowing down, you know, praising her. Walking behind her with a guitar singing praise songs, you know. Um, it just means this guy is probably naturally, he's at the city gates and he's naturally kind of wanting to talk about his wife when he's hanging out with the guys. 
You know, my wife, man, she is pretty awesome. You know she was up so late last night spinning wool. <laughs> You're not going to believe this. She actually bought a field and uh, the other day and she, she planted it with a vineyard. What has your wife done? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, he's just naturally praising what he enjoys most. Praise completes the enjoyment of something or someone we enjoy. Whether a great spouse or a child doing something really cute or a sports team winning a big game. So the question is not if you praise. The question is more what you praise. What do you praise? And verse 1 says in the text, if you'll look at it, it is good to sing praises to our God. It is pleasant. A song of praise is fitting. It is good and pleasant and fitting and pleasurable to make God the ultimate source of our praise. In other words, enjoying God in such a way that overflows in praise is what you were created for. It's just natural. And it's what will make you most happy. So the psalmist gives a few reasons, a few of God's great gifts in order to lead us to praise. And I want to look at three of these. His provision, his power, and then God's pleasure. We're going to look at God's provision, his power, and his pleasure, if you want to put that on the screen. So let's look first at God's provision. God's provision. You know, in at least six verses... uh, in this psalm, it talks about how God provides. In verse 2, it says that the Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts of Israel. There's a good reason to believe that this psalm was written for the dedication of the rebuilding of the temple after it was rebuilt. After some of God's people had returned from exile from Babylon to, to Jerusalem, they rebuilt the temple. But at this point... The walls of Jerusalem were still broken down. And it meant that they were still very vulnerable to attack. Anyone could come in with a small army and destroy them and the temple. They probably felt like a, a herd of sheep sleeping out in the middle of the woods with the, with the wolves howling. It's good for us to notice this because we all often think that praise is good and fitting when everything in life is going well. When we're safe and secure, we're healthy and wealthy, then it's easy to praise God. And the psalm reminds us that we are called to be a people that live by faith and not by sight. And in verse 2, they're saying that their covenant God loves to gather the outcasts and then be a wall around them. That God himself will be their wall. In verse 13, it says that God loves to strengthen the bars of their gates. He's saying God will provide the protection that they need, even when it's not visible. And we can imagine many of them living pretty discouraged at this time. Even Ezra 4 talks about this time when they were rebuilding the temple. It says that people of the land intentionally came in to try to discourage them and frustrate their plans. But here, near that time, they sing again in verse 3, He heals the brokenhearted, meaning the discouraged, or feel your heart's just broken, something's off, I'm discouraged. He said God loves to bring healing to those times. The psalm goes on to say that God's heart is not only to protect, 
but to provide abundant provision. Look at verse 8. He covers the heavens and the clouds. He prepares the rain of the earth. He makes grass grow in the hills, which will feed his people. Verse 9 says, he even provides for the young raven. The young raven that cries for help. This is interesting because the raven was one of the most unclean animals to the Jews. Pretty despised little ugly bird. He probably uses it to make a comparison. If God so intentionally and providentially provides for even a young despised black bird, how much more will he take great effort to provide for his who are created in his image and for those whom he has redeemed? I used to go to the YMCA in seminary uh, in the mornings. I'd swim a little bit, and, and then there was this little plastic table over by this huge glass wall that I would, I'd sit at this table and, and do my little quiet time. And there were several diff- difficult things that were going on in seminary at the time that made it hard for me to praise God like I really wanted to. And I can remember specifically one cold winter morning sitting by that huge glass wall window at this little plastic table and I saw a little a little bird come kind of bouncing through the snow and I started watching it and um, it was obviously looking for a worm and as I sat and watched it I thought how difficult must it be for this little bird to find a worm in the midst of a couple inches of snow and then Matthew 6 came to mind so I turned my Bible over to those pages and and, and I see Jesus tell his disciples this He says, don't be anxious about your life. He said, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns or huge bank accounts. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not much, not worth much more than they are? Are you not worth much more than that young raven? What incredible intentional providence that the God who holds up the universe would take notice to, to place a little tiny worm in front of a little tiny bird on this little tiny planet in order to provide for it. Are you not so much more valuable? What incredible providential providence that he provided for Elijah in this very way when he was in the midst of a famine in the middle of the desert. He brought the same word, a young raven, to, to, to provide food. If you or your family are having a hard time praising God because you're going through a season of difficulty, it is good and fitting to direct your heart and mind to trust in God's great providential provision on your behalf. Make time to look around what he's already working out. Trust him for what you don't see. And then spend some time giving thanks and praising him for his providential care in your life feel like we've done this some over this summer and it's good for us to do this as a church in the midst of what Matt spoke about earlier it's so good for us to look around and see that God has been so faithful to this church and what he's already worked out he's been faithful in Matt's working in Matt's life he's provided two amazing godly and gifted staff uh, new staff 
And even though we're just a small church on this little small planet, we feel God has been providentially providing for us so abundantly. Gives us every reason to believe that he will, as we move forward, do the same. So it's good for us to praise him for his provisions. Number two, let's praise God for his great power. Some might ask in their mind, well, you know, I I believe that God, you know, he loves to provide for us like this. But in the midst of certain circumstances, I just don't see how he's able to do so. How he's able to work like that. To this, the psalmist answers in verse 5. Great is the Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. He gives the illustration in verse 4 of determining the number of stars. However they came to be, where they are, God created each one from nothing, determining the exact place that they would be in the universe even giving a name for each one. And this is pretty amazing, if you think about it, right? Uh, Considering scientists estimate that there's around 1 billion galaxies with 100 billion stars in each galaxy, which means there's around 1 billion trillion stars. I realize that 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 sounds like a number made up by your child. (laughs) It's like a billion trillion stars. Um, I read it on Google, who surely knows. Um, but he's pointing to you, like, man is so finite, right? Even with all our technology, this is still a massive estimation because we just can't see into the universe. We look into the universe like an ant looks around China. <laughs> we probably have a better estimate in all reality, I think, not scientists, but um, of the number of drops in the, in the ocean, drops of water. They estimate... Uh, this to be 26,000 billion trillion drops of water in the ocean. Plus or minus a few billion trillion gazillion. <laughs> <You know? laughs> the point is, is that we ooh and awe so easily and so often about the abundance of power and, and understanding of our technological advances, which is really so insignificant compared to God. Fifty years ago, we stood in awe and praised the strength of our power and understanding to send somebody to the moon. And one day soon, we'll probably do it again when we send somebody to to Mars. And to God, that's like stepping over a puddle or crossing the street. It's like a small child boasting and stacking three blocks on top of each other. Right? We ooh and awe and we praise the child for doing it. But not because it's so great. We're only impressed because they're limited power and understanding. I mean, Miriam wouldn't be impressed if she came and I was like, honey, come look at this. I finally figured out how to get this block into this round hole. I've been trying to put it in the square hole, but by golly, it's round and he's going the round hole. (laughs) Wow, that's amazing. (laughs) You're so wise and understanding. Yet we're so tempted to trust in and give our praise to our power and our understanding For them at that time, it's their temptation to to hope in the power of their great army with the, the number of horses they have and the strength of their men. They could count horses. They could count legs. It's visible. And size it up with the other armies. For us, we're so quick to take hope and take pleasure in our education or our 
accomplishments or our natural abilities or our experience that we have to add to it. Yet God is, he is not impressed by our power and our understanding. God does not look down at the world championship weightlifting contest or the top graduates of the Ivy League schools and get amazed. Verse 10 says, His delight, God's delight is not in the strength of a horse. His pleasure, not in the legs of a man. You know, Ezra 2 says that there's about 50,000 people that returned from exile into Jerusalem. And this meant that, that if they were attacked, they really would only have a few thousand men with a few horses, no chariots to fight back. And can you imagine the people of God reciting or singing this psalm? They had no strength in, of, in their horses or the numbers of the legs of their men. Their hope, they were thrusting on God alone. And our hope also must not be in our own power or what's visible to us, but in the God who numbered the stars and named them. And on top of that, that promise, God numbering the stars, it most likely would have reminded them of a promise of old that he gave to Abraham. Centuries earlier, when God had Abraham look up into the sky, try to count the number of stars, Abraham, if you can. And he promised them that he would make them into a great nation. As numerous as the stars of the sky. And so praising the God of promise was a way that they were living by faith and not by sight. They were, they were putting their hope in God's great power to accomplish his great promises, even in the midst of that uncertainty. And whether you're in a place where you're wondering if God is able to do to provide for you, or if you're tempted to trust or boast in your own uh, great ability to provide for yourself, how good and, and pleasant and fitting it is if you take your eyes off of ourselves this morning and praise the God for his abundant power to keep his great promises. And that's God's power. And lastly, we should play, praise God for his great pleasure. Verse 11 says, The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear Him. The Lord takes pleasure in those who hope in His steadfast love. I asked my children yesterday, my small children, how do you know if somebody is taking pleasure in you? How do you know that someone sitting next to you actually has pleasure in you? It's really not an easy question to answer. They answered it and said, uh, one said, well, when they smile at you. It's <laughs> probably true. Um, another said, when, when, you, when they enjoy being around you. Do you feel that the Lord, the one who numbered the stars, takes pleasure in you? Do you feel that? You know, I, I asked a few people that, that question this week, and uh, I asked a, a, a godly man I, I really respect as a mature Christian this yesterday, and he said this. He said, you know, this is something I've honestly always struggled with. He said, I, I had parents who seemed to show pleasure in me only when I performed well in whatever I was doing. He went on to say that... He's brought this into his relationship with God, only feeling that God's pleased or struggling to 
feels sometimes that God's only pleased with him when he has consistent quiet times or performing well uh, when he is doing those things, but not, not as much when he's struggling or failing. And I think we ought to all relate with that. I assume most of us think more often about God's expectations than his expectations over us and his pleasure in us. Yet it's pretty clear from verse 10 that God's pleasure is not in our strength, is not in our abilities, our armies, our nuclear weapons, our putting a man on the moon, or our latest iPhone. (laughs) And Jesus would add, from seeing the way he interacted with the Pharisees, that that God is not impressed with our our self-produced righteousness either. God doesn't take pleasure in people who try to work hard in order to, to gain his pleasure. So who does God take pleasure in? Is there any other important, more important question on, in this life that you could ask than that? Who does God, who created you and you'll stand in front of one day soon, who is the one he takes pleasure in? Well, we have the answer here. It says, those who fear him and hope in his love. Those who fear him and hope in him. You know, fear and hope don't usually go together, do they? You don't tend to hope in someone you fear. How does this work with God? Um, years ago, when I, I lived in Brazil, right after college, for a couple of years, I, I um, had a good friend. We loved to mountain bike some. So we drove way out into the countryside of Brazil to, to go mountain biking. And, and we, we got there and we biked on this trail for several miles. It was truly beautiful. For miles, you could only see. We're kind of up on this hill. You could see miles of just rolling hills and countryside and nothing else. At some point, I noticed these dark clouds forming way off into the horizon. So I just, we kind of took notice of it, but kept biking. But it wasn't too long that we noticed, after that, that we noticed um, that this was a very ominous storm. It was forming quickly and it was moving towards us. These were deep black rolling clouds and they were filled with flashes of lightning filling the sky and they were just rolling towards us. We, um, I can remember feeling a sense of, of awe at the beauty and the power of this coming over from a distance and moving so fast and it looks so powerful. But at the same time, uh, a sense of fear as we quickly realize there's no way we're going to get back to the car. So we started biking uh, as fast as we could that way, but we were looking for a refuge. Off, in the, tra- off the trail in a, in, a, in, a, in a distance, we see this, this old abandoned stone building. It looked like a small fort. Except that it, it uh, didn't, instead of having a roof, it just had a thick covering of, of trees. We decided to go for it, and we got there right as this storm started pummeling. <laughs> um, we still got really wet, for the, but for the most part, we huddled up next to these walls in a corner with these trees overhead, and we felt safe. And we felt like we'd found a refuge in the midst of the storm. The Bible gives this picture of an all-powerful, sovereign God who is over all things. He numbers stars, parting parts oceans. He rides on the clouds, it even says here, of the storm. He, 
It says God takes pleasure in those who fear him and have a sense of awe, not in their own power and performance, but in this God. But at the same time, in light of the lack of our praise, the lack of our performance, the lack of our own righteousness, the lack, the the midst of taking pleasure in so many other things, the Bible gives us the humble reality that, that we are vulnerable. And without refuge, in the midst of us, in the midst of this holy and just God, in light of our great sin, and and the good news of the gospel that's seen here in verse eleven is that God also He has steadfast love for us. The good news is that in order for God to take pleasure in us, Isaiah forty or fifty three ten says that God also took pleasure. In crushing his own son. Speaking of Jesus, and just stop for a, just stop for a second. Can you, especially if you're a father, but you don't have to be a father. How crazy is that to think of a verse in the Bible that says that? A father took pleasure in crushing his son. What pleasure would do that? Cause, take pleasure in causing pain even. Yet it was on a cross where his ultimate, God's ultimate justice for our sin would meet his steadfast love in order to provide for us a refuge. And God takes so much pleasure in us, who, in those who run with great hope in this great refuge that we call his son through the work on the cross. For those who have failed, for those who have not measured up, for those without hope, For those who are humbled before God. As Psalm 149, just a few verses over says, The Lord takes pleasure, verse 4, The Lord takes pleasure in His people. He adorns the humble with salvation. And so I began by saying that praise, praise is the natural overflow response to whatever we enjoy as great or awesome, as wonderful and beautiful. It's the natural overflow of whatever we enjoy most. And so whatever, whether you have done this for years or this, or whether this needs to be the first day that you've ever done this, I ask you to direct your heart. God is asking you that you direct your heart to be filled with the awe and fear, an appropriate awe of the fear of God. In the midst of his power, the one who numbers the stars and rides on the clouds, but also to put your hope and find refuge in his steadfast love as seen in sending his son Jesus for you. And then to rest in his providential care and provision for us and for our church as we go out from here. How good and pleasurable and fitting it is when our hearts are filled with these realities and overflow his praise. Let's pray together. Gracious God, there is nothing more pleasurable in heaven on earth, nothing more good, pleasant, or fitting for us to enjoy you in such a way that we naturally overflow, whether at home or at work or at play, whether in good circumstances or really difficult circumstances. I 
We ask you, we beg you, that you would place upon our hearts and minds a praise of you that is fitting to glorify you and make us so happy in you. In Jesus' name, amen.